0: When I was in law school, we had a course uh, for every first year law student. It was called Foundations of Law. Foundations of Law. This was a Christian law school. I went to Liberty University School of Law. I was in the first class that they ever had there. Um, It's not the same place it was when I was there. So if you're thinking about going there, talk to me first. Uh, But no offense, Liberty, if you're watching, don't sue me. Um, But in any case, I actually attended another law school. Uh, For about a semester and then a couple weeks uh, before I went to Liberty University um, As part of their first class, but when I was at the other law school, which was not a Christian law school uh, I did not feel that there was a very strong explanation of The foundations of law. In other words, we learned the law Which is to say we learned what law does what can be done with it? uh, You know how it sort of works what the rules are we learned the rules but we didn't learn what the law was. There was no teaching that I recall about the foundation of law, uh, why we should obey the law. You know, who says that the law is right or wrong? Those kinds of conversations I don't remember having. We just got in there and started learning sort of the law, the rules. And honestly, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't amazing. It didn't make me feel great. One of the reasons probably that I left that law school um, and wandered for a little while before I found Liberty, who I recognized as a place that was really teaching the law. It was kind of the same time I came back to the Lord. Uh, and it was an amazing thing to be somewhere where we were dealing with the foundations. What is this about? What is it about, right? Um, I remember when we were at Liberty, we had some practicing lawyers come in. We had an ethics course and some practicing lawyers from town there in Lynchburg, Virginia came in into this ethics class and and they were talking about sort of the ethics of law in their practice. And I remember this one guy who was up there, uh, a lawyer, and he was telling us about how he would represent uh, young girls, you know, 17 years old type, you know, 16, 17, who wanted to get abortions. In Virginia, there was a law, I think there still is that you have to have parental consent to get an abortion. But if you don't want to tell your parents, you can go to a judge and get the judge to sign an order that says you can get an abortion and he'll appoint, or she, he or she will appoint a lawyer uh, to represent you to help you get that abortion. So this guy's talking, about, yeah, I get appointed to do that and I help uh, people get abortions. And I was like, but you're a Christian. Like, you don't believe that that's good, you know, to, to help people get abortions. So, so how do you do that? And he's like, he just kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? Like, this is my job right? This is the thing that I do for my job. This is not church on Sunday. There's church on Sunday, and then there's my job. Sort of had pigeonholed his life into a couple of different places. He shrugged it off. He shrugged it off. Uh, He basically, the message I got was, I separate my Christian beliefs from my legal work. I was extremely disappointed for a number of reasons. First, I was learning the law the right way at the time, from the foundations up, I was learning that the law flowed from God, from his holiness, from his perfection, and that man's law was supposed to be an attempt to discover God's laws as they apply to everybody at all times and all places, and put into practice what God has set for his creation. Like, I, like, that's where I was at. And this guy, this lawyer who says he's a Christian, and I have no reason to believe he's not a Christian. Like, you know, I think he probably believed the right things, but he didn't see the connection and Willie was willing to help people do something he knew was wrong. And that was disappointing. Those of you who know me very well know I'm not a big fan of compromise um, <laughs> when it comes to things God tells us not to compromise on. I can compromise on a number of things. Not very much, but I can compromise on a lot of things. But I can't compromise on the things that God tells us that we are to do. Now, I'm a sinner in need of grace all the time. So obviously, I do compromise sometimes because I fail. But my heart is to want to do what God has called us to do and to not compromise on those things. That's my heart. That's what I want. In order to do that, in order to do the things God's called me to do, I had to focus on and understand the foundations of law because I was going to practice law. In order to do that in general, in my life, in my walk with God, I have to understand the foundations of the word of God and his truth. If I don't have the foundations, if they're not set straight, I'm gonna compromise. I'm not even gonna know what I'm, I'm not even gonna, I'm gonna shrug things off and be like, what are you talking about? Why can't I do this and that at the same time? Because I'm not gonna know the foundations, I'm not gonna know the Word of God. That's not a good thing. In the series that we've started last week, um, the point of this series called Foundations is for all of us to be built up, built up in the foundations. You gotta think about it like building right? Any metaphor that you need, but the idea is that you're being built up. The foundations are being made secure. It's extremely important for us to do that if we want to live the truth out consistently. I don't want any of you to live a life where you're justifying things that you do, where you're acting like an unbeliever because your foundations just haven't been built up. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that for me. I don't want to see that for you. And one of the things you got to understand about stuff like this, about the foundations, people avoid them, I think. They avoid the hard work of building up the foundations because real teaching is not always entertaining. It doesn't always make you happy. But if you listen to the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all you need to know to have real joy. And my calling, just in case where any of us are confused about it, my calling as your pastor, as your brother, as your friend, is to build you up not to make you happy. If you were thinking that, like you came in here like, well, I hope it makes me happy today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you're looking for happy, you probably aren't looking for work. But to learn and to grow is work. It's work, okay? Some of you like to go to the gym and work out. Crazy. The rest of you who go to the gym, go to the gym because you're looking for the results. You're looking for the benefits. You're not like, oh, I can't wait to be sore and not be able to walk up and down stairs and feel terrible. And that kind of, You're not thinking that part of it, right? You want to be healthy. You want the result. And so you go to the gym, some of you, not me, obviously. Um, some of you like to study and read and learn, like you like to do that. And that's a gift. The rest of us, the rest of whoever, we have to do it so that we can grow healthy in the Lord, regardless of whether we like it. I don't really care if you like it. I don't care. When I, when I was a kid and my parents would put food in front of me, they didn't care if I liked it. I, I am amazed. I'm just gonna do a little aside here, okay? People and their kids where it's like, oh, honey, you don't want to eat that? What? You paid for that food and put it on their plate. Some of you are like, oh, don't talk about this. I didn't make my kids eat anything. Listen. It's why they're a disaster right now. Okay, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not. But my parents, my parents made me eat whatever they put on my plate. I had to take some of everything I had to put on my plate. I had to eat it. It didn't matter whether I liked it. It didn't matter whether I liked Some of you like to eat broccoli and Brussels sprouts. And I'm not talking about with butter and cheese. I'm talking about just like you steam that. Because with butter and cheese, you're just eating butter and cheese, right? Like, yeah, with some broccoli so that you can feel like, well, this was healthy. It's not. It's not. Okay. But some of you like that. Bless you. You like steamed broccoli and Brussels sprouts. You are, yeah, good job, okay? You probably like to work out a run. That's another one I don't get, right? Oh, you get the runner's high. Yeah, no, there's no runner's high. What are these people thinking? I, I don't even know. Okay, I'm off, I'm off base. L- listen. We gotta get the vitamins though. So you gotta eat the Brussels sprouts or the, or the greens, whatever they have to be. Sometimes you have to eat things you don't like because it's for your body to be in the right place. Sometimes you have to do the hard work of learning the foundations, of studying them, of memorizing them, of knowing them so that you can be healthy spiritually. You have to do it. Just like working out does get more tolerable as you do it. It gets easier, you don't get as sore. It can even be enjoyable, I will admit. I've even been, in, I've enjoyed it before. The more you see the results, right? I mean if you all real thought you could look like me, you'd probably go every day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. People are like, I don't think that you look like you think you look. I haven't seen a mirror in twenty-three years. Okay, I don't I don't look. But when you're getting the results you want, you actually like them. more. same thing happens with studying the Word of God. It may be hard at first. It may be work at first. It's harder than TikTok. It just is, okay? It's harder than social media. It's harder than watching Netflix. Things that We all like to do those things, but those are easy. They don't take a lot of work. They're passive, and studying the Word is active. When you're here on a Sunday morning, and you're paying attention, and you're thinking, maybe you're taking notes. Maybe you're just taking notes in your mind. You're reading the, the Scripture. By the way, there's Bibles in front of you when, we're, when we read the Scripture here today. Uh, you can use those. It'll also be on the screen, but you can also take one of those home with you if you don't have a Bible at home. Please feel free to do that. That's our gift to you but not everything is ice cream and bacon. I wish it was, okay? I wish it was ice cream and bacon on the ice cream. I would do that. I've heard that's amazing. But some things are broccoli and Brussels sprouts to you or to me, okay? Sometimes you gotta eat your greens. Sometimes you gotta eat your greens. Now, if we have to do the work, we might as well do it together. And we might as well come in with the attitude that we're here to do it. And so when I do a series like this, where I'm doing a lot of teaching on basic foundational truths, I know it's not as much fun as series on some other things, but it's so important. It's so important. The last message, uh, we worked through a couple questions regarding what people think about truth. Right. We had this survey that was given by uh, Ligonier Ministries does it every couple years or so for the last several years. They've put out this uh, survey of Americans to see where they stand on a bunch of different questions about God, about the Bible, about who Christ is, about morality, a bunch of stuff like that. And this came out and you can actually look at the data And you can uh, identify kind of how everybody did. You can identify how uh, just evangelicals did, how evangelicals who go to church once a week, who go to church more than once a week, that kind of stuff. You can see that. And you can kind of see where people stand. How well do they know their foundational truths and beliefs? And so we did that. Last week, we had uh, a message called The Truth About Truth. And we looked at a couple of the questions they had about issues of truth, objective truth versus subjective truth, and so on. This week, we're going to talk about the truth about God, part one. I thought it was going to be one, but it's not. It's going to be more than one. This truth about God thing. So, there are a number of questions about God that were asked in the survey that I want us to get to. Lord willing, we'll get to them today. So, let's get into it. All right. Now, if you remember last week, they give a statement, and it's a true or false statement, but they give you five options strongly disagree, somewhat disagree, don't know, strongly agree, or somewhat agree, strongly agree. Pfft. True or false, okay? These are true or false questions. Strongly agree or strongly disagree? One of those is the right answer. I don't know. You have a thought of this. I don't even know why people say that because they don't want to upset somebody, I guess. But in each case, there's one right answer. There's one right answer, okay? Uh, truth does not compromise. These statements, are not, they're not nuanced. They're basic truths. A Christ follower who knows the word of God and has studied needs to be able to answer every one of these questions, either strongly agree or strongly disagree, depending on what the question is, okay? And so when I talk about the results, that's all I'm going to talk about. The right answer to the question is the one that we're going to look at and see how people did on it. So the first question was this. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. That's the statement, true or false? God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. And we all say true, right? Strongly agree, all right. It's the only right answer to the question. Strongly agree. We cannot more strongly agree with this one, right? God is perfect. He is holy. He is set apart. There's a reason we sang the songs we sang this morning. He is holy. He is perfect. He is set apart from his creation. One of the things we get a lot of, and and maybe we'll get into another one of these, is people kind of, like, God is creation. This sort of pantheism or panentheism. That is absolute nonsense and unbiblical. God is not the universe. He is separate from his creation. He is set apart. He is holy. He is perfect. The Bible's in front of you. We're going to read a few scriptures. Uh, 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Deuteronomy 32, 3 through 4. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. 2 Samuel 22, 31 through 32. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Rocks, the idea, it's immovable, it's perfect. He's perfect in every way. Psalm 19, 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I love that passage. God is perfect. He cannot make mistakes. That's a tautology, actually. To say God is perfect, he cannot make mistakes, is just saying the same thing twice. If you're perfect, you can't make mistakes. If you make mistakes, you're not perfect, right? So this statement that they gave is actually a tautology. If you agree with the first part, you automatically agree with the second part. You're just saying the same thing twice. God has to be perfect. You have to understand this. Okay, If you believe in God, at all, if you believe in God, he has to be perfect. Because God is eternal, Right? Whatever God is, is perfect. There is no one to judge God. He is perfect, pure, holy. He has to be perfect. There's no one else to ground the idea of perfection in except our God. He is perfect, completely perfect because he's God. Now let's look at how people answer this on the State of Theology survey. First, all Americans who took the survey, okay? This is professed believers, unbelievers together. Let's take a look at that one, 51%. So to be fair, for a society that is rotten, as some people would say, it's not bad, 51% thought that God was perfect, does not make mistakes, So that's, that's good. Uh, the problem is, like I said, it's a logical necessity that he be perfect. So if you believe in God, which most people do, by the way, I know that like you can get on the internet or YouTube or whatever and it's like, oh, there's so many atheists, atheists. no, they're all on YouTube. It's like seven of them, okay? <laughs> Honestly, you're not going to meet a lot of atheists. You'll meet some like agnostic people or some people who have weird ideas. But atheists, like hardcore, like God does not exist. You can't prove a negative, so most people figure that out pretty quick. Um, But it's actually a very small number. Most people believe in God. Now, if you believe in God, it's actually logically necessary that he be perfect. You can't have God, the God that creates, the God that, that isn't perfect. He has to be. He has to be because of the fact that there can be no other standard. But logic, reason, not at their highest levels, probably right now, or where, where I would like them to be um, in this country or any country. Um, so, we need to learn to think better. We need to think better. That should be 100%. Uh, or at least 100% of those who believe in God, which should be like 98%. Right? That's what it should be. All right, here's what evangelical Christians said. Actually, before you put that up, for those of you who were not here last week or were here but you forgot, sometimes I forget too. What, I, what did you preach on? I don't remember. Uh, that's I've slept since then. Anyway, evangelicals were defined by Lifeway Research as. People who strongly agree with the following four statements. So this is what an evangelical is in this survey. They believe these things, strongly agree. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. It is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. So far, so good. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of my sin. Great. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Great. All those are good. If they, if they said those things, they categorized them as evangelicals. Uh, they also, if you went to certain churches, uh, if you supplied a church affiliation that was an evangelical church that believes all these things, you would be put in that category also. So how did they answer? Let's see it. Hey, that's not bad. 95%. 95%. Pretty good. It gives me joy, actually. To know that so many Christians got this one right. Because there are people in the world who would want to say something different. Now, let's look at the last group, which is evangelical Christians, as we just said, but we just defined them as, who also attend church once a week. Let's see it. 96%, one more if you go to church every week, which, of course, when you're at 95%, there's not a lot of places to go, right? Statistically, within the margin of error, basically 100% of Christians, of evangelical Christians believe that Jesus is perfect, that God is perfect, okay? So you're kind of thinking to yourself, so why bring it up? Like, obviously, we're doing good here, so what's the deal? Um, yeah, we are. We're doing good in this. I agree. American Christians answer this question well. It's actually this next question that we're going to talk about, Lord willing, here, that confuses me based on answers to this question. So, the next one is this. God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Okay? That's the thing. Now, it is possible that some people were confused by this question. Okay? It's possible because I can adapt without learning. I can adapt without learning something new. For instance, if you give me a steak, a good steak, okay, not, not the sizzler thing, like a good steak. Where's the sizzler, by the way? There used to be sizzlers around. Anyway, let's not get into that. My dad loves a sizzler. Um, I very easily am going aside today thinking about food. A good steak. I'm not going to put anything on it, right? I'm not going to pour the A1 on that steak. I'm not going to put ketchup on it. It's a steak. It's a good steak, right? Talking like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, which I've been to one time because we had a little book with the coupons that get you half off. I'm sure they love it when you come in with that. Uh, Anyway, a good steak, no ketchup, no A1, nothing like that, right? However, if you put liver in front of me and I'm at your house and I don't want to be rude, so I'm going to eat it, which don't do that. Please don't invite me over and give me liver. Let me just tell you now. There's going to be a lot of ketchup, a lot of of ketchup, like there's going to be very little liver. And a lot of ketchup, right? Because it tastes like tragedy. It tastes like something awful, right? To me. Maybe you like it. Great. Uh, My mom does. She likes it. But I'm going to put a lot of ketchup on that liver. Now, did I learn something? Did I have to learn in order to adapt? No. I adapted because I already know. I know what steak tastes like, I know what liver tastes like. I didn't have to learn something new to adapt my ketchup use to one or the other, okay? So, I so I get it like how some people could maybe have gotten this one like misunderstood it, okay? But it doesn't say just adapt. It says God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Okay? All right. There's only one correct answer to this question like the other ones. Strongly disagree. Strongly disagree. God does not change. He does not learn. He's perfect. He's perfect. There is nothing for him to learn. Look, if he had to learn, he was not perfect. I do not think that word means what you think it means. It means perfect. Okay? If he's perfect, he can't learn. There's nothing for him to learn. He's perfect. All knowledge is in him. He is all-knowing. Right? Omniscient. He knows everything. Just like you did when you were 21. Right? You remember that. It was amazing. Isn't it amazing how much we've forgotten? Because when I was 21, just ask me. I would have told you I know, I know everything basically everything. I've forgotten a lot the older I get. Um, And the older people have gotten smarter. I don't know how they've learned all this stuff, but because they didn't know anything when I was 21. Like everybody older than me, right? Some Mark Twain quote about that. Anyway, um, truly God knows everything. Truly knows everything beyond what you can imagine. He knows everything. He knows every hair that's on your head. Right now, every hair on my head, he knows. He knows how many there are. What a thing to know. Why does he know it? Because he knows everything. Cause he's perfect. He doesn't learn how many hairs I have. He knows. He knew before he started, before he said, let there be a light, he knew how many hairs I'd have on, my, on every day of my life. He knows everything. That's what it means to be perfect. Can't be perfect and learn new things. Perfection means perfection. He's perfect in all his ways. He knows everything. And people already answered this question about God being perfect and said hugely, He was perfect, right? Basically, 100% of people said he was perfect, at least Christians. 51% of unbelievers, or not unbelievers, 51% of everybody, including both. So we should expect that logically, they would get the answer to this question correct. Because God is perfect, there's nothing for him to learn. James 1.17, listen to this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He does not change. Okay, Malachi 3, 6 through 7. For I am the Lord. I do not change. Learning is changing. Okay, he doesn't change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? He actually goes on to talk about tithing. there. not going to do that today. Relax, although it would help. Just letting you know. We're a little low these days, okay? So let's, let's pick it up. Um, be faithful. But we're not going to deal with that today. He's the Lord. He does not change. We change. We fail. He does not change. He does not fail, okay? That's one really easy way to tell the difference between you and God. If you were wondering whether you were God, no. Because you change and you fail. You got to think about it this way. If he did change, if he did learn, if God was learning and growing and adapting, you couldn't depend on his promises. If God was learning, we would be in big trouble. How could you depend on anything he's promised us? When we give a promise, you give me a promise, I give you a promise, we know something. It's always implied that something could come up that would make us unable to keep our promise because we're not, we don't know everything, right? We don't, have, we don't have control of everything. We don't know everything. We are not perfect. If you've seen the movie Shrek, I think it's the second one. Uh, he has to take some clothes from some guys. And he says this to them. Thank you, gentlemen. Someday I will repay you, unless, of course, I can't find you or if I forget, right? (laughs) That's that's what our promises are like, right? They're contingent because we don't know everything. That's the nature of our imperfection. We're subject to change. In fact, if you're in Christ, you're a Christ follower, you're being changed. You are being changed. You're being transformed by the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. Now, confident, confident, because God is perfect and does not change. That's why the confidence is there. Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It does not say, "Unless I can't find you, or unless I forget." It does not say that, right? confidence the only way you can be confident is because he's the rock perfect and holy unchangeable this is so foundational unchangeable let's see how americans did on this okay 23% pop it up there 23% of people answered this question that god is somehow learning like he's that like he's doing the He's on YouTube. Like, hey, how do I fix a whatever? That's 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 their big view. Twenty-three percent. Okay, uh, that's less than a quarter. Fifty-one percent, though, answered that God was perfect. So somehow we had a miss. They, do, they don't understand what perfection means, or they did not understand the question. Either way, America, we need to think better, which is surprising, right? I mean, it seems like everybody's got to figure it out. Um, but at least evangelicals who believe all those things that are the fundamentals of the Scripture of our faith, who answered 95% correctly about God's perfection, they should get this one right. Let's see. 39%. 39% of people who agree with all those statements, those true statements about God, Jesus Christ, our salvation, Him alone, all of that, that the Bible is the highest source for them, 39%, less than 40%, less than 40% were able to answer this question correctly which flows from the other question. What about evangelical Christians who attend church once a week and get teaching regularly? 46. 46% of people who would be in your position, that you come to church every week, some of you come every week. I'm not going to name names. Not everybody comes every week. But anyway, <laughs> kidding. I, I know who does. I have an attendance sheet. Um, anyway, <laughs> you think I don't know, but I do know. Even when I'm not here, that attendance is taken. And I pray for you. Um, I do. I really do pray for you. So 96% said, yeah, God's perfect. And then only 46% said, and he doesn't change, which is the same thing. If you're perfect, you don't change. You can't become, I know that we have this thing in order to form a more perfect union. That's not what that, you can't become more perfect. You can't become perfecter. Okay. That's not a thing. There's just perfect. Perfect is the top. It is the end. It's as far as you can go. God is perfect. He does not change, okay? Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And here's the thing. I want you to think about these these verses and think about what would be true about them if God learned and changed. This is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Super important. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is true. This is the scripture. This is true because God is perfect and unchanging. Immutable is the theological word. Immutable, unchanging, perfect. He does not learn or change. That's the only way you can believe this. If you didn't have that, you'd have to put the Shrek thing on the end of every one of these verses. You would have to. I I, I promise you this, unless... Something happens that I haven't learned yet. I haven't figured out yet. You cannot trust God for all of eternity unless he's perfect. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know all, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Romans eight thirty eight through 39 For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is he persuaded? Because God is perfect. That's why. The scriptures are true. Because God is perfect, and he does not change or learn. If God was changing, we could not depend on him. It's so important that you understand this. If you don't understand this, you don't understand this. You don't understand the scripture. I know that sometimes people get uncomfortable around me. Sometimes I have been told by people that they get uncomfortable around me because of the fact that I expect Christ followers to act like Christ followers. And because I have a standard, not I don't expect anyone doesn't sin. I sin, you sin. We have, we have an advocate with the Father, right? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have all that, First 1 John 1, nine. But in, as a general rule, living a lifestyle of sin is not going to go well with me. If that's where you're at and we're hanging out, there's going to be accountability. It's going to get uncomfortable for you. And I know some people don't like that. But what that is, is God's grace in my life his grace anchoring me to him as the rock, right? And making me strong and stable so that you have people in your life that are stable because stability is what helps us. To. If God was changing, just, just kill me now. I'm serious. I cannot go on if I can't trust God. If I can't trust God, I got nothing for you. If I can't trust God, then I can't even believe... That Christ's sacrifice on the uh, the cross and his resurrection are sure promises. That the seal of the Holy Spirit is a sure promise to me that I will rise again. can't if God changes. That's why it's so important. right? You need to be a person who changes less and less and less. Because the people around you, when you're ministering to them and discipling them, they need your stability. That reflects God's stability. You can only have it through the Holy Spirit. You don't have any stability. Y'all are wobbly all over just like I am. We need the Holy Spirit to be stable, to help others. That's something that we can do to be more and more like Christ. Listen, these truths are fundamental. You want to depend on God as your good father? You got to be able to depend on him completely. They're foundational to the understanding of the word of God. They're foundational, foundational to understanding God. You have to understand what holiness and perfection are. You have to understand that God is set apart, separate from his creation, perfect, and holy. You have to understand that. He is high above it, holy, pure, perfect. That's why we need Jesus Christ, because you and me cannot be with a holy, pure, and perfect God, but for Christ's righteousness, but for Christ's holiness. That's so important. If you think God changes, well, then he's not perfect and pure and holy. Well, that that sets the whole thing off, then why do they have to send Jesus? Then why are we in trouble for not being perfect, pure, and holy? We're in trouble because he is perfect, pure, and holy and made us to do what he called us to do and we didn't do it. Over and over and over again, we didn't do it. That's why we need Jesus Christ and his death was to pay for our sins so that we could have his righteousness and be made holy with him. That's the whole thing. Like all of it depends on God's perfection that he doesn't learn, that he doesn't change. We cannot get in this mindset where we think that these kinds of truths are unimportant to learn. We cannot follow Christ by simply trying to act a little better than our neighbors, which is sometimes what I feel like people think Christianity is. Like I go to this place on Sundays. I have like occasional read the Bible or I've got a coffee mug with a verse on it, that kind of a thing. And and like I act a little better than my neighbors. That's just some kind of weird moralism. That's not Christianity. We can't do that. We can't do that. We are called to be set apart to follow the scriptures, to know God more and more intimately. This is not about showing up at church, listening to someone talk, and then going about the rest of your week, right? There's not a Sunday you and then a Monday you. That's how I perceived that lawyer was living. Sue Lee went to church on Sunday and then helped people kill their babies on Monday, right? That's what he was saying. Not only people, young people who needed better They needed better advice than what he was giving them. These doctrines and teachings that form the foundation of our understanding of everything, you have to know them. If you don't know that God is perfect and unchangeable, you just don't know what's in store for you. You don't know that he can keep his promises. How do you know that the word of God is true if God is still learning? I go, I'm going to go back and take that out. How do you know that he's kept it? For us without knowing that he's perfect. It may seem like a small thing that only 39% of people who believe all those things and go to church every week know that God does not change and learn. But these are the cracks in the door that led in all manner of evil. Do you really think that the incorrect beliefs we're going to look at later in the series, Lord willing, about moral issues like abortion, like transgenderism, and to be fair, right now I feel bad that I said he should be giving better advice. Maybe that guy gave them advice not to have their babies killed. I don't know. I feel bad about that now. But anyway, for all, he helped them do it. So. But the moral issues that we're going to talk about, the bad thinking on those, it starts here. It starts here. It starts with a little crack in the foundation. That's what we're talking about, foundations. If the foundations aren't strong, perfect. The foundation, right? We talk about God as the rock. That Jesus as the rock, he is the rock, the foundation. If there's a crack, if we don't understand it, what creeps through that crack is all kinds of stuff. And all of a sudden you're getting separated away from who God is, and all of a sudden you're justifying things, and you're living like an unbeliever, and you're going, ah, oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he's, maybe he's learning. Maybe God's learning things, right? We can't become a people who see Christianity as just a general way to live life instead of a radical, and complete rejection of the world because God's perfect. It is a radical and complete rejection of selfishness and pride and sin. Understand this if you're a Christ follower. Listen, it is a radical and complete rejection of those things. That's what it is. It is a full acceptance of Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as friend, as the rock on whom we fall. You have to be there. It's to be separate, to be called out, to be completely different, to be holy, to be free, to be joyful, to endure trial and hardship and persecution with joy and peace. That's what it is. To be strong, to be united, to be redeemed, to be loved, to be cared for, to be drenched in the affection and grace of God, the creator of the universe. That's what it is. It's not, I act a little better than my neighbor and I've got a verse mug. It's not those things. It's radical. It's a complete change of who you are, and to experience that, we must use the mind of Christ that we have as Christ followers. According to 1 Corinthians 2.16, this is what it says. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ, the mind, use it. This is not just a feeling thing. Christianity isn't like, I feel good. I, got, I, I know people who their religion is all about feeling. Yeah, I feel good. I go on a hike and I sort of feel God there. Great. He's there. He'd probably like you to be in church though. Right? He's there. I'm glad you feel good when you see creation. I do too. But that's not that's nothing to base your life on. That's meaningless. What have you paid for that? Nothing. I just feel good. Okay. That's probably worth a lot then. Your religion. No. You got to use your mind. You got to know things. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was glorious. I didn't say it would be free. I said it would set you free. I didn't say it wouldn't hurt. I said you will not die. You're not going to die that second death if you're in Christ. But it ain't easy. And it does hurt. And it's not free. It's not a game. It's not a club. This isn't some show we put on on Sunday mornings. This is life and breath and hope and love and faith. You're not a Christian because you're generally a good fellow or a good lady. You're not. You're a Christian, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, according to Romans 10, 9, right? Romans 10, 9 through 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's what you believe that matters. Do you understand that? It's what you believe that matters. People, people think they're going to be able to go to, to, to before the Lord and say well I didn't believe it. it was hard to believe or I didn't get it or what no you are held responsible for what you believe for what you do with this with your mind what you believe will lead what you do if you believe right you'll do right all right Dr. David says all the time believe do what you believe, causes you to do the things that you ought to do. When you do the things you ought not to do, it's because you're not really believing the things you ought to believe. What you believe matters. Because what you do isn't going to save you. Can't save you. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Right? You can't do anything that will save you. What can you do? You can believe. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Your belief in Jesus. That's why what you believe matters. That's why we need to think well. That's why you need to learn and study and read and grow. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, was dealing with the fact that people wanted to use the word Christian to sort of mean anyone who acted pretty well. Even if they didn't believe what Christians believe. they couldn't believe those things. But they acted pretty well. Aren't they really more like a Christian? That idea is nonsense. It was nonsense, then it was nonsense, now. This is what he says part of what he says far deeper objections may be felt and have been expressed against my use of the word christian to mean one who accepts or believes the common doctrines or teachings this word means the same thing one who accepts the common doctrines of christianity people ask who are you to lay down who is and who is not a christian or may not many a man who cannot believe these doctrines be far more truly a christian far closer to the spirit of christ than some who do now this objection is in one sense very right very charitable, very spiritual, very sensitive. It has every amiable quality except that of being useful. We simply without, cannot, without disaster, use language as these objectors want us to use it. It's what we believe that's important. What we do will follow that. Talking about, isn't this, person, isn't this person much more like a Christian? You hear this from certain people on the political side who want to kind of go against Christians and and get on Christians because they don't do enough, right? And it's true. Some Christians aren't charitable. It's true. Some Christians don't do what's right. But generally speaking, you know, like the educational system, the whole practice of science, pretty much every hospital for the first however many hundred years, uh, the fact that that we even believe the things that are right that we believe, that's all come from Christianity. So they're sort of standing on the platform created by Christianity so that they can Say things negative about Christianity while at the same time not accepting the Christ of Christianity. Anyway, it's a whole thing, right? But the idea is, oh, I'm helping whoever. So aren't I really more like a Christian than you? It's like, no. Because it's not what I do that makes me a Christian. It's not what I do. It's what he's done. It's what I believe about what he's done. Acts 16, 30-31. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You remember this? This was the the jailkeeper, and everybody got set free, and the guy was going to kill himself because they were going to kill him. Probably worse than just killing himself with a sword. And he was about, and Paul's like, don't do it. We all stayed here, right? And he's like, what in the world? Why don't you all leave? So he brings him out, and and Paul, uh, he asks us this question to Paul. What must I do to be saved? He realizes that they know. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. You got to believe, right? You got to believe, I ask you seriously and with my whole heart, take the teaching of the word of God seriously. There are plenty of, there are plenty of teachings that are interesting and fun. I actually think all of them are rich. I'm one of those people who likes that stuff. But if you're not, eat your, eat your vegetables. Eat your vegetables. Please don't let me be in a place where the survey questions are asked and you don't know the answers. Or you get the wrong answers. Please don't be that person. Because the only reason that person is like that is because they haven't put the work in. You got to believe. You got to believe. You got to know it. And you can't believe if you don't know. And then the cracks come in. And then we have all the problems that we have. What do you think the world has gone from basically uh, Christian in its culture to more, and I'm not saying totally Christian culture. There's been some rotten stuff that's gone on. But there was a time when, generally speaking, even the rotten stuff was like, we ought not to do that. Or it was done in secret. Or it was done in the dark. You couldn't be out in public doing it, right? Now, this, I was just talking to my daughter the other day. When I, even when I was young, and I'm not that old. Some of you are like, eh, pretty old. Um, like people living with each other who weren't married to each other was still like, mm, they called it living in sin. And it was, it was looked down upon. If the if the parents of that person who was living with somebody else, they'd be embarrassed to talk about it, right? That's not even a thing. Now, if you said, Oh, you're living in sin, people would be like, What are you talking about? Or they'd laugh at you. Completely accepted. Completely accepted in culture, something that even when I was young wasn't. And certainly back a few decades before that, it was real bad. You did not do those kinds of things, right? The culture has moved. Why has it moved? Because generally we don't think well and we don't know our foundations. And so people are calling themselves Christians now who don't even believe the basic doctrines of the faith. Progressive Christianity, for instance. It's craziness. I'm asking you, take the teaching of the word of God seriously. It will transform you. The word of God will transform you. The Holy Spirit will transform you. He's your teacher, right? We we teach each other. We do all that. But the real teaching is the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in your heart. And you won't get the answers wrong when it really counts. Because there are times in life where it really counts to know these foundations. I actually had four other questions I was going to go through on this. Uh, but they're going to need to go until next week uh, in part two of at least two. I don't know. There may be more of this uh, Truth About God stuff. But one of them is people, the question is, do, was Jesus God or just a good teacher? And you'll see what they said about that, which is bumtastic what they said about that. All right, let's pray.